Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Luke chapter 13. And I just believe God's up to some special things this year. Amen? And over the last uh, several weeks, uh, the Lord's been really emphasizing a few things. Increasing. God wants us to increase. Faith for increase. Empowered for increase. Diligence to increase, as I spoke on, on in earlier in January. And then a couple weeks ago, spoke on enlarging. All right? He's enlarging. He's stretching us. How many like to be stretched? All right? It's not, none of these things are comfortable. Come on. None of these things are comfortable, but if we stay comfortable, we're not growing. If we stay comfortable, we're not stretching for what he wants to bring into our lives. Amen? Increase and enlarging are necessary for the move of God to really be uh, made possible in our lives. And I just, I think this year has so many great things in store. It's going to have challenges. How many know? We're going to have some challenges. But I just know God's goodness, his faithfulness, and, and what he's doing is going to exceed the challenges. Amen? I was, I was preparing yesterday, and uh, my son had, my son was in the loft outside my office, and he was, he was, uh, he had just picked up some of those strip LED lights, right? And he wanted to put it around the desk where he does his gaming. And I could hear him out there, and he was working through this process of trying to make it work, and you know that frustration, it's not working. And, um, and I, then, I, then I, you know, a few minutes later, I hear him going, oh, oh, okay, okay, I see it, all right, all right. Oh, yeah, there it is. And I could hear from the other room this process as he was figuring it out, right? And I'm, I'm sitting, the Lord just drops it on me, and he says, hey, that's, that's kind of how my word works in your life. Right? You're trying to work it out, going, I don't get what you're saying here, Lord. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just connects the dots, and the lights come on. The lights come on. And Paul prayed this. He said, I pray that your, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know. Come on. We don't even know unless God brings the light. And it's at the entrance of his word he brings light. So I hope he lights you up this morning. Amen? Amen. And uh, I told my daughter on the way here, she goes, what are you preaching about this morning? And I said, well, I'm going to be honest. I wrestled with this message. There are some messages to shout about, and there's some messages to bow about. There are some messages to bow about. And when... And there, how many know not everything is sugar and sugar and, and, and treats in scripture? There's some heavy stuff we got to deal with. There's some heavy stuff we got to deal with. And so turn to your neighbor and say, it's a little bit weighty this morning, but wait for it. But wait for it, all right? It's going to get good, I promise. Because we have a good God. And even when he brings... Something heavy, he brings the grace. Amen? It's truth and grace. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Oh, Jesus. God, we can't even understand unless you give us understanding. Enlighten our hearts this morning. We open our hearts to what you want to speak to us. Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge you're working in this place. You're already here. Lord, would you mold us? Would you shape us? You are the potter. We are the clay. Lord, would you make us into what we want, you want us to be, Lord? 
Lord, we submit and surrender to you. We come under your hand this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are a loving Heavenly Father. And even when you bring a word that's heavy, Lord, you bring the grace. So, Lord, we just want to yield to you and your word. Speak. Do a work in us this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said. So beginning in uh, verse 1, and I'm just, I'm going through, I love the Gospels. Come on. I mean, I'm just, I started fresh on the new year doing a chronological thing through the Gospels. And I'm just reading last week, and all of a sudden, this passage, it's like the Holy Spirit goes, boom, the lights go on. And he just highlighted it, and I'm like, really, Lord, you want me to preach on this? Okay, so go with me. It's going to be a journey. Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, somebody say, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Pastor, where's the good news? All right. Verse 4 says, Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Do you see, when Jesus says something twice, we better pay attention. And what I feel is the urgency. The urgency to repent. And repentance is not a bad thing. It is a gift. It is a precious gift that God gives us the opportunity. That we have opportunity to repent. Merciful and loving God who's drawing us unto him. Now Jesus has just been teaching the disciples. He's been warning them of being covetous. Man, thank you, Ben, for that message. That was good. Praise God. We need that, man. We're in an hour where we need to be saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But he's been warning them. He's been speaking to them of the kingdom of God and the Sermon on the Mount, and he turns to speaking about readiness for his coming. Now, I don't know when he's coming. I'm not throwing out dates. I just know it's nearer than it was last week. Come on. And I want to live in a ready state. I don't want to be caught off guard, but he's looking for a people with their lamps lit and filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit awaiting his return. And he's, wait, and he's making a church that will be spotless bride. But then he turns in the end of chapter 12 and he turns to them and he, and he says, hey, I did not come to bring priests but a sword and there's going to be division in families because of me. How many know there's some here, you've experienced that. Even in our own family, there's some divisions that we have to deal with because some are following, some are not. But then he says, he rebukes them for their hypocrisy because they can tell when a storm's coming by the signs in the sky, but they cannot discern the season and the spiritual things. So that's the setup here. And he says in verse 
57 of Luke 12, he says, And why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? How many know we need to get our judgment right? And it's how we need to get our judgment right concerning how God is working, how he's dealing with us. And so they come to him and they bring this tragedy to his attention. They want Jesus to comment on the current news cycle. Come on. And this, make no doubt about it, this is a serious, impactful event that that has happened. And they want to see what Jesus will say. I mean, I imagine this event that they spoke of with the Galileans brought shock and horror. And we don't have any specific historical records to provide us additional details on what happened here. But we know from the historian Josephus that Pilate did some pretty horrific things to the Jews. He was a tyrant. And so he was notorious for his brutal acts. And it may have been that the Galileans had been rebellious or whatever it may. And they may have violated Roman law. But he literally has... Soldiers attack them while they are giving their sacrifices. They, I mean, let's just modern day equivalent. While they're going to church, the government comes in and slaughters people. That's the brevity, the weight of this situation. And, and, and no doubt, they wanted to see what Jesus would say about it. But who knows what their motives were. They might have been saying, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to come and he's going to remove Roman rule. And he's going to cause us to be a great and mighty nation again. Maybe we can get him to speak about this atrocity of Pilate and condemn it. How many know we we want to bring God the present current events and tell him our opinion? Come on. Hey, are you on my side? I mean, it's like the talking heads on cable news networks, right? It's like, are you on my side, God? He's saying, I got a totally different perspective than you. And unless you repent, you won't understand my perspective. And, you know, this, this was a horrific event, as I mentioned. But listen, the issue at hand was they were concerned more with the sinfulness of those who had suffered this horrific death than their own sin. They were concerned more with their condition than their, the, the condition of those who died than their own condition. Why? Because it was common in Jewish culture that if, a, if somebody died by virtue of, their, of just a, a terrible accident or something like this, that there must have been some terrible sin in their life. They must have been a terrible person, secret sin or something. It was divine judgment. They believed this. And in fact, we see it in John chapter 9 when Jesus is coming along and they encounter a blind man and the disciples even had, caught, had, had fell prey to this kind of thinking and they said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus answers it. He says, neither this man sinned nor his parents. That's not the issue. But hey, so that we may work the works of God, we must do the works of God while it's day and night. Let's do it. The works of God might be displayed in this man. Jesus was more concerned with his healing than he was with why he had the condition. Don't you, aren't you thankful for that this morning that God is more concerned with our condition than our opinion? Come on. 
But they felt like they must have been great, greater sinners if they were suffering such a terrible divine judgment. And then Jesus brings up another tragedy. The collapse of the Tower of Siloam. And if you remember in John chapter uh, there was the, the, in John chapter 9 as well, it was the man who was, he, he was healed. He had him washed in the waters of Siloam, in that pool of Siloam. And this, there was a tower that existed there, and apparently this had fallen, and 18 people had been tragically killed. And so he goes, do you guys think that these Galileans were any worse sinners than you, the others, all the others? No, he says, I say no. Come on, parents, you know how it feels when we say no. And your kids look at you and they just want to why. But why, why, why? No. I say no. This is where repentance starts, is it not? We've been thinking a certain way about something, a perspective on something, and God says, I say no. In the Sermon on the Mount, he put it this way, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And the person who lives in a repentant state wants to know what he thinks. So he flips the script and calls out their hypocrisy. He says, I tell you no twice, he says, unless you repent. And what, you will li- all likewise perish. And he says, after, you know, he was after the heart of the matter. What was the heart of the matter? It was self-righteousness. And I'm sorry, but today we can still get into this. I remember in 2005 when the hurricane Katrina happened. Christians, including myself, I've been, come on. Oh, New Orleans is a terrible city. It must have been some judgment. Really? Are they worse than Seattle? Are they worse than Linwood? Come on. Man, we want to attribute divine judgment and go, oh, they must have been terrible. And I hear the Holy Spirit saying, I say no. And you know, it's important that we get this right because the world has these questions. They want to understand if God's good, why is there all this suffering? You know, the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. Come on. You can't look at somebody's favor and blessing and even say, hey, they must be living a good life. How many know there's been plenty that aren't in that category? God sees it differently than we see it. And repentance, the word is metanoia. It means to have higher thinking. It means to be willing to change and alter the way we think. And that change in our thinking leads to a change in behavior that leads to transformation in our life that is visible to everyone around us because there are fruits that come from it. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But in Luke 13, 5, he says about repentance, this is to imply a repentance is willingness to change once and for all. There may be some here listening within the sound of my voice or in, over online this morning or listening sometime in the future that you hear this, but there is a day of salvation. It's today. There is a now There is a now. What is he trying to get across to them? 
You should look at that tragedy and thank God that you still have breath so you can repent. It should be a reminder of the mercy of God that you are still alive and you still have an opportunity to live and bring glory to his name in this time and this hour. Because I want when that gravestone goes up and there's a dash there, I want that dash to be significant to have impact in this world. There's still time. He's a merciful God. Repent. Don't wait. It's not time to play. This is what I feel the urgency this morning, church. It's not time to play games with God. If you've been playing games, if you've been messing around here or there, say, I'll get right in the future. No more. There's no more time for that. Now is the time to get right. Not tomorrow. So Luke 13, 5, and then Greek, it is a once and for all repentance. And then Luke 13, 3, it implies a continual repentance. Being repentant, it's a brokenness state, a contrite heart that God can work with. Man, when you become a Christian and when you be, fall in love with Jesus, you also need to fall in love with being wrong. Just fall in love with being wrong. I mean, how many times I'm just coming to the Lord with like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, I got that wrong, Jesus. Show me how it really is. Your ways are higher. Your thoughts are higher than mine. I just live. I want to humble myself. I want to, I want to turn myself completely to him. Repentance is a complete change in direction. It is a complete, utter transformation in how we live. And I... You know, I was struggling, wrestling with this message. I come into prayer. This is why I love, this is corporate prayer. This is why this is so important, because the Spirit's speaking. And I walk into prayer this morning, right in the middle of a prayer for repentance. Okay, thank you, Lord. I'm on the right track. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Come on, it's, I'm on, yeah, like sometimes you're, you're going, where, Lord, where are you today? A lifestyle of repentance. See, I had a recent massive change of heart. <laughs> yeah, last week, we decided to get a dog. Because <laughs> we decided our lives with full-time jobs and ministry and kids and school sports and all that wasn't complicated enough, so we're going to get a puppy. So, we don't know what we're doing, man. <laughs> like, we do not. Yeah, there's... The <laughs> I, so, I mean, even my, even my family was shocked. I mean, look, God just changed my heart. I don't know how to explain it. I had said no, 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 no for years. Like, I'm not cleaning up poop. I'm not doing that stuff. And I'm outside walking this dog doing this, and I'm like, how did this happen? <laughs> and my family, even when we went to the Heckers to pick up this dog, I was, they were like, are you, are you for real? Who are you? <laughs> but I share that to say that's how radical repentance can be. Who, what just happened to you? 
You were this way, but you totally flipped the script. You're totally different now. You think different? How many know when we got that dog, we had to like come home like, oh, we weren't ready for this. We don't have a crate. We got nothing. This thing's running around the house. We don't, we don't have a leash. What? We had to adjust our entire routine and everything to make room for this little puppy. But here's what I feel the Lord saying. Are you open to change this year? And are you open to adjusting some things in your life to make room for what he wants to do? Right? The puppy's just a picture. And they're like, and he's just a puppy. Like, you really want to put him in the, in the, in the kennel that long? Yeah, he's a dog. This word perish, his warning is that without repentance, we would likewise perish. It means to put to an end, to ruin. Now listen, we will be ruined if we don't start and stay in a repentant lifestyle. And I'm not just talking about the utter ruin that the unsaved experience after death. I'm talking the here and now. Sin, sin, all sin leads to death. All sin leads to death. I don't know about you, but I want to cut it off before it gets to death. I don't want to be ruined. I don't want to see any one of you ruined. And he, here, that ruin ruins our well-being and our ability to produce what he desires in our life. And the message this morning is God is after some things this year in us. And you know what? When we get hold of this perishing thing, it changes how we see everything around us. I was sitting at a business dinner a couple weeks back, and you're just with people you don't really know that well. And it's just small chat. And I'm trying to get along. But man, the pastor in me was just dying. I'm like, we're talking small chat, but you're going to hell, bro. I just love you. You need Jesus. You see the emptiness of people's lives that they're perishing without him. The hopelessness. And you just can't live the same when you get hold of that. You, Pastor Carol, last night, last week, a missional message. You've got to get the heart of this. We see tragedy. Let it be a reminder that time is short. Our, our world is filled with tragedy. But now I want to get to the crux of this message. Let's go on in verse 6 of Luke 13. And it says, and he began to telling this terrible parable. Parable. It's a, it's a good parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three, somebody say three years, I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding, and he cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? 
And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer, and it bears fruit next year. Fine, but if not, cut it down. Now this is this comes on the heels of his uh, dialogue with the crowd there about repenting. And he's further emphasizing this urgency to repent. But he's also illustrating the plight of the nation of Israel. And if you want to understand this vineyard, the man, the owner of the vineyard, is representative of, of God our Father. The vineyard keeper, the one who takes care of and looks after the, the, those in the vineyard, is Jesus himself. The vineyard, as described in Isaiah 5, is Israel. Or we could look at it as the covenant blessing, that, that realm of his goodness and grace, and even some references to Israel as the fig tree itself. But us who have been grafted in to the promises of Abraham, come on, through faith in his seed, Jesus Christ, we can say this morning and apply it personally to our lives. And some of the scholars may say the three years refer to the three years of ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus ministering repentance. They both came coming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the message, and yet many had not responded. They were rejecting that message. And you see in other parts where Jesus is dealing with the fig tree, he comes out of Jerusalem with his disciples, and there's a fig tree by the way, and he looks for it, and it just has leaves, but it has no fruit. And he says, and he curses it, may you never, ever grow again. And the Bible says it was withered up. The disciples are like, whoa, that was cool. But that was a picture of a nation that was not bearing fruit. And so he had said, he says, if you look at Matthew 21, they had rejected this message. And as he is interacting with the chief priests and elders in the temple, he says to them in verse 43, he says, therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people. What? Producing, somebody say producing the fruit of it. So, what we need to know this morning is God has planted us and cared for us so that we can produce the fruit He desires. And the f- prophetic word for us as a church this year is that this is a year for producing. We've been in a season of transition, but I feel the Lord saying, one more year. This year, we're going to do some digging. We're going to do some fertilizing. But his planting, number one, we are his planting. Four things I want you to see this morning. We are his planting, and there's a privilege in being his planting. The fig tree had been planted in the vineyard. Now, while fig trees were common in the nation of Israel and in, those, in that area, it was rare for a fig tree to be planted in a vineyard. Why? Because the expansive root system would have taken up ground and prevented more vines from being grown. But it says the owner of the vineyard had a fig tree that was planted. This was his special fig tree. I want you to see that. 
planted in great soil, filled with nutrients. Are you here this morning? Isaiah 61 says that we are the what? The planting of the Lord. Trees of righteousness is what he calls us to. Planted in good soil. Now I want you to see this. If you don't get a hold of this, you won't see the privilege that you have this morning. That he gives us everything pertaining to life and godliness. That soil is rich and you are special to him. But I want you to see this. It says in Isaiah of Israel, it says, For the vineyard of the Lord, in verse 7 of chapter 5, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Do you see that? He delights over you. He delights over you. But he is not delighted in a plant that doesn't produce. Said, and the men of Judah, his delightful plant, thus he looked for justice, right? They weren't producing. But behold, love sh- bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. So number one, you need to know this morning here his planting. And number two, we need to understand his purpose. And his purpose is to produce. Look, it was the owner of the vineyard who comes looking for fruit. I want you to see this in case some of you think this morning that it's your job to be fruit inspectors. It is the owner of the vineyard who comes looking for fruit because it's his tree. And he wants fruit that is desirable to him. See, we aren't bearing fruit to impress our neighbor. We aren't bearing fruit to impress pastors and leaders. We aren't bearing fruit, come on, we aren't bearing fruit to look good for somebody else. We're bearing fruit for him. Look at what Paul says in Romans 7, 4. He says, therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another. Come on, how many are glad you're joined to another? To him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Now make no mistake, others will, bear, will benefit from the fruit in your life, but it's his fruit. So lest we start getting all excited and haughty because we're producing, remember whose fruit it is. Remember where you're planted. Remember, he's the one who provides the nutrients. He's the one who cares and prunes and makes it happen. It's us being yielded to him that enables it. His purpose, his expectation for the vineyard was that it would produce good fruits. You know, all through scripture, figs are a symbolic of the health of the nation of Israel, both spiritually and physically. When they were describing the promised land, they said there's fig trees there. It's a place filled with prosperity for us. And see, when things were going well, the fig trees were in bloom and and producing. But how many know when things aren't going well, things don't get produced? 
Let me sing. He says this in uh, Isaiah 5, 1 through 4. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around. I wish I had a shovel up here this morning to give you this picture. Removed its stones and planted it with the choicest vine, and he built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out all the wine vat in it. Then he expected, somebody say expected, to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. Just let that sit. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. That's kind of what he was saying to those guys who brought him the news. Repent. Are you producing the fruits of repentance while you have breath? What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? I mean, he says, I've done everything I can to make it productive. Why, when I expected good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? He's asking a question. Now let's talk about the fruity desires. First, it's the fruits of repentance. John the Baptist came and he said, so he began saying to the crowds in Luke chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, he began saying to the crowds who were going and to be baptized by him, he said, you brood of vipers. Can you imagine if I started a sermon that way? Come on. <laughs> I'm not sure about this church. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourself. See, here's where self-righteousness comes in. Come on, I was a PK. I lived this. We have Abraham for our father. Man, I got a great dad and I got a great mom, don't I? But God does not have grandchildren. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. See, the fruits bearing with repentance, they ask, well, the response to that message was, what then shall we do? The ones who heard it and responded to it said, what then shall we do? That should be our response. Not just come to another Sunday, man, that was a good message. There is action. There's an action that is invoked by this. Repentance is not just some feeling. It's an, I'm going to turn my heart, but it also leads to behavioral changes. I'm not, I'm not going to go dumb places with dumb people and do dumb things anymore. Come on. Things in my life are changing. And it's visible to everyone around me. And he says, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, come on, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Oh, those are good-looking fruits, aren't they? And that's what's produced when, but you can't produce those unless you start with that repentant lifestyle. A repentant lifestyle. When I talk to Christians and I, and I hear them talking like they got it all figured out, I go, whoa. 
Whoa. Man, I do not have it all figured out. Come on, anyone else here? I am living by his grace. Fruits of ministry, Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go, talking to his disciples, go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. You see, if you get hold of this, that my life was meant to produce fruit, that's what the Father expects. So now that is my mission is to produce fruit for him that is pleasing to him. Fruits of repentance, fruits of the Spirit, fruits of ministry. I don't want to just get to heaven alone. Come on, somebody. My daughter got this shirt at a, at a worship conference. It says, let's make heaven crowded. Let's make heaven crowded. And let me tell you, if you're bearing fruits of repentance, if you're bearing fruits of the Holy Spirit, guess what? Fruits of ministry will just follow. Because the transformation, the distinction in your life compared to the perishing world around us is so incredibly contrasted, they have to notice it. If you blend in, come on. We have to stand out. Let your light shine, church. Come on. We've got to stand out. We see he desired fruit, but having come to the fig tree for three years, had not found any fruit as of yet. Number three, you need to see his patience. His patience. Oh, God, he's so good. He's so good. You see, they had the most precious soil, the good ground to grow in. It had been given the best care. It had been given ample time to produce fruit. You know, a fig tree was, was... to produce fruit for 10 months of the year? I mean, it was taking up space and nutrients, but not producing. By taking up ground, this tree rendered all the ground around it sterile. I want you to know that a lack of fruitful Christianity affects others. And this is the picture of us who have been planted in good soil in the house of the Lord who go to church week after week. We hang out with Christians. We, we, we get in the word week after week, but we're still lacking the good fruit he desires. I mean, we can sit in church for years without producing because there's not repentance. Man, we got to guard our hearts against self-righteousness, against saying, I've already arrived. God, guard our hearts. And it's the Lord's patience. 2 Peter 3 9 speaks to the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, right? God's on a different time clock than you and I. But it is patient toward you, wishing not, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come repentance, to, to repentance. For those who might have thought for a moment that Jesus was being harsh, understand it was him who would later on that year would, would raise Lazarus from the dead. It was him who would 
put himself on the cross. He would be put on the cross and suffer for sins and die and be raised again. He would suffer like no one. He was the suffering servant. See, he, he lived. His mission was to seek and find the lost. To save the lost. That's God's heart. And so he's always more time, more time. Maybe they'll repent. Maybe they'll turn. He's slow to anger. Psalm 145, 8 through 9 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful and great. Slow to anger and great. Somebody say great in loving kindness. He's good to all and his mercies are over all his works. And then I want you to see the vineyard dresser. He says, hold on. Don't cut it down. Oh, come on. Don't cut it down. Give me one more year. Give me one more year. Don't cut it down. Is that not the heart of Jesus? Hebrews 7.25 says he, he is able to save forever. New King James says to the uttermost. That's a salvation to the depths of your soul. Come on. Those who draw near to God through him since he is always, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He stands in the gap for us. Do you see it? He prays for us, his elect. He prays for the unconverted. He prays for us to be fruitful, to persevere. Come on. Jesus is praying for you. He said to Peter, I've prayed for you. Satan came to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Jesus is praying that we'll produce. Come on. While he is patient, the time for opportunity to produce is running out. And that's why I feel the urgency of the Lord on this. We can't afford to take his patience lightly. Hear me again. We can't afford to take his patience lightly. Oh, come on. I look back at my life and how many times I should have been dead because I was doing stupid things. The mercy of God to save me. The mercy of God that I didn't perish when I was out there in my sin and, and, and rebellion. Romans 2, 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? Not knowing it's the kindness of God leads you to repentance. See, you've got to see his patience, his mercy. He's coming after us. David says his mercy will follow after us all the days of our lives. But that doesn't mean we got forever to repent. And you see, in response to the vineyard's owner, owner's insistence on cutting down the fruitless fig tree, the vineyard keeper said, let it alone this year too until I dig around it and put in some fertilizer. I want you to see his persistence this morning. The Lord is not ready to give up on us. 
Turn to somebody this morning. He's not giving up on you. He is persistent in his efforts to bring fruitfulness in our lives. Come on. We got to say, Lord, come and dig around me. Come and fertilize. One more year, Lord. I'm not where I want to be, but I know you can get me to where you want me to be. Come and dig around me. It's a picture of our personal lives because you see, sometimes that fig tree wasn't fruitful because the roots were damaged. The roots were damaged. And for many of us in our lives, we, get, we struggle. I, like Ben was saying, there's things we're stuck on. There's things we're trying to get past. There's things that have been affecting us, and we, we can't seem to get to that place of producing. It's in our heart, but there's, there's things that are deep down inside that we don't even understand. I mean, I thank God Mike Sia is teaching on inner healing on Tuesdays. This is something we need. Because deep down... In the roots of our lives, God wants to touch. He wants to go back to those places of trauma and pain and experience that have hindered us, that have, that have colored, that have given us a shadow of how we live live and, 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 and a filters on how we perceive things in this world and, 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 and perceive him. He says, I need to dig around it because there's still some work to do here. And I feel like this is a year where God's going to be doing some deep digging in those of li- of whose lives are willing. I wonder if you would say this morning, come dig around me, Lord, this year. And he wants to fertilize, you see, and then the King James, he put it rather bluntly, dunging it. Yes. He's going to put some stinky stuff down there. The depths, what would that do? That fertilizer would bring healing to those roots. And by digging around, the water could come in and get down to the roots. And with the fertilizer and the water, it began to heal those roots and bring back what was broken or hurt. And you know, also down there was some, maybe some suckers. How many of you ever seen those suckers, those things that grow out from the tree? And they take life from the tree so it can't produce. You got some suckers in your life this morning? It might be a bad relationship that's sucking the life out of you. Come on. It might be a situation that's sucking the life out of you. I don't know. Hurt, pain, unforgiveness. Bitterness, sucking the life. Well, he warns in, Holy Spirit warns in Hebrews, he says, beware the root of bitterness. Because that root of bitterness will destroy. So he has to come and cut the suckers. Can we have the worship team come?
See, I don't, I don't know where you're at this morning. I pray the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. But sometimes we have just been suppressing things because we just don't want to deal with it. So we live life. pushing things down, just trying to cope, just trying to survive, just trying to make it, but yet we're not producing. And God's saying, if you'll let me dig around, if you'll let me get down to the deep places, if you'll let me put some fertilizer on it and bring back life to it, then a time of producing is ahead for you. A time of producing is ahead for you. How many are thankful this morning? We still have time, another year. Let's not waste it, church. Will you stand to your feet for a moment?